Hello everyone, I just want to start by thanking you for tuning in to listen to this pilot episode of The Dishonourable Few, a Red Dead story. Just before we get into it, I just want to share a couple of things with you. Firstly, this content is not officially associated, produced or sponsored by Rockstar Games or the Red Dead Redemption Games in any way, shape or form. The characters and story are entirely fan fiction. The story is, however, based and inspired by the Red Dead series, so please don't sue me, Rockstar. The content is produced in association with The Bad Gamer, which is a gaming community for you to find news, reviews, and other gamers. You can visit our website, www.outwardbadgamer.com, and you can join the Discord server on there. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. It's at the Bad Gamer. UK. I started writing a story after I became unwell with cancer. I'm only 27 years old, so the diagnosis really shocked me, and it's caused me to change my perspective on a lot of things. One of those things is that life is too short, so that's why I've decided I want to work on this creation and bring this series to life through both written and audio form. However, before I decide to go ahead with the project, I just want to give you this tercer. I hope you enjoy listening to me, find the episode exciting, and really get a sense for what is happening. The story starts out with a 21-year-old man called Ben Callahan. The story is from his perspective as he works alongside a group of nomads who have a dream to start up a successful trading operation. All seems to be going well for them until suddenly... Drastic actions result in the need to escape and start from scratch. The events in the story are set before the main events of Red Dead Redemption 2. So, sit back, relax, enjoy a cup of tea or coffee or maybe even a whiskey and enjoy the story. I woke up with a shiver and the smell of smoke climbing into my nose as I turned my head to gaze into the campfire. Riley, with her long, bright red strawberry hair poked at it as she knelt in the dirt she looked up at me morning sleepy she greeted in a mothering manner i nodded at her too tired and dry mouthed to respond instead i groaned grunted and rolled over to place my feet into my boots i took a deep yawn before rising got any coffee on the go i asked as i approached the fire to warm my hands The outskirts of Van Horn were cold at this time of year, and it was an uncomfortable place to wake up. Riley was always the first up, every morning without fail, and I couldn't understand how the cold never bothered her, especially because she hadn't always lived like this. You know where the pot is, and make me some whilst you're at it, she responded with a scolding manner. I walked to the car and saw the pot resting in the metal tub, filled with ice water to the brim. I stuck my hands in quickly to grab it and decided to skip giving it the usual for a clean down that the girls would have. I took a pot of ground coffee and headed back to the fire quickly to retrieve the warmth before brewing up the hot pot of the good stuff. Riley had been with the group for the longest and her old life seemed rather unbelievable when you looked at her now. She was a working girl apparently in Ansberg before she was rescued by the main man Joe Swan. According to the stories I heard, Riley was abused by one client in a manner so horrifying 
that one could not even imagine how to pen it on paper. I don't know how Joe came across her or why he even helped her. Most people don't meet a working girl unless they are wanting a working girl. But when I see Joe and her, they just don't seem the type who would have had a moment. Mind that, would you call her time with a working girl a moment? I don't know. The rest of the camp began to rise as the strong smell of coffee spread throughout. Our group was relatively small, with only seven of us around. We'd all came from different walks of life, and we'd met through pure coincidence. I was from a place outside Butcher Creek, which I could only describe to you as a rat's nest. I used to live there with my ma, but she died two years ago from sepsis. My pa was killed by a bear two years before that. The whole place was cursed, and then one day, when I was washing my clothes down by the river, I felt a cold, rusty barrel touch the back of my neck. This be Murphy Brood Country, some yokel said. I dropped my drowned wet clothes into the river to wash away, as I put my hands up slowly. Was I really about to be taken out by the bunch of inbreds? That was my last thought, until a shot vibrated behind me. I closed my eyes, and for a moment, I thought they'd shot me. I put my hands over my ears as it rang loudly, and in the background I could hear the muffled gunshots. Seconds later, I opened my eyes as I gazed into the water, with it slowly turning red. I looked over my shoulders, and I saw three bold men standing as one of them looked down his iron sights at me. Put down the gun, Hank, Joe said as he lowered the barrel down himself. Stood in front of me were my rescuers, Hank McFarlane, a destined ranch hand who lost his way after he was banished by his own family. Hank was a trouble causer, and he had scars to prove it too. But despite his faults, he was a great and skilled shooter who worked hard every day going out and hunting in the wilderness to ensure we had food and being the first one on the front line as soon as there was a glimpse of trouble. Beside him was Buck Dum Young, a fellow from up north. He was one of the younger members of the group, besides me of course, being taken in by Joe a couple of years ago. He wasn't the brightest, but he worked hard so he was reliable. He could shoot too. Although he mostly stuck to this rusty carbine repeater he had. It was pointless sending him on a hunting trip because you'd be pulling shrapnel out of your beef and the pelts were so shut up that a butcher wouldn't take them even if you paid him to. Whenever anyone tried to talk to him about it and even offered to clean his weapon, he would outright refuse. Supposedly, he was given the gun by his old man, who was a soldier, and he didn't want a risk breaking it. But by God, given the condition of that thing, it was bound to happen at some point. Nevertheless, they still sent him out on his hunting trips. And then, of course, there was Joe Swan himself, a middle-aged outlaw with a noticeable scar, who just wanted to keep his head down. Joe had been around for a long time, and in the beginning, it was just him, Riley, and her sister, Isabella. According to Riley, Joe used to be a bit of a hothead, but over the years, he warmed up a bit and supposedly, he even had a soft side to him. He didn't have kids, but there was always a fatherly instinct about him. 
He always wanted to protect everybody and keep them safe. He was strict too and maintained discipline among the fellas, particularly with Hank, who was pretty much his right-hand man. You see, Joe tended to keep out on any of the dirt these days. He mostly focused on hunting and fishing, but he made some decent money by working security for stagecoaches. We were all armed and experienced, so it was easy to pick up the work. And we'd made quite a reputation in Van Horn. He didn't mind the rest of us doing petty jobs or pulling a few stunts here and there, but Hank always wanted to take it to the next level. He always had ambitions to do a train robbery, but Joe always refused. So every now and then, the two would clash. But I know Hank would push the buttons a bit by doing something a little bit more crazy each time, like a house robbery behind Joe's back. He tended to keep me out of it though, but Buck always had loose lips, and that's exactly how Joe would find out too. These three were my heroes in that moment, and despite the risk I was taken by leaving with them, I never regretted running away from Butcher Creek. Back there I was left with nothing, and had I stayed, I would have been dead by now. A few weeks ago, I asked Joe to accompany me, whilst I headed back to gather some old supplies from my folks' house. When we got there, the entire place had been burnt down. I saw the ashes and debris blown across the woods, no doubt containing the tiny pieces of burnt paper from the only photos I had of my family. It crippled me. Made me feel sick even. I had nothing left. And I was so angry. I wanted to go into the village and kill every single one of them. Even the locals. But Joe, he put his hands on my shoulder. You don't need no house to remember them, he said softly. I inhaled deeply. Holding back the tears out of fear, I would collapse right in front of him. I know, it's just... They didn't deserve this. They haven't suffered it. Their suffering ended the day they died. And at least now, they wouldn't be saddened to see their only boy living alone in dangerous country. You're with us. We're your family, he said reassuringly as he tightened his grip on my shoulder. Joe was right. I didn't need to preserve the pictures, the walls and the ceilings to remember my fantastic parents. Up in my head, they were there, and in my heart, they lived. I carried those sentiments with me, and even though it's been tough, I think this is what they would have wanted for me. Because despite the unsavory history we all shared, Joe had a dream for us. He'd been working hard to get enough money together to open up a trading company here in Van Horn. He was due to head to St. Denis in a few days to meet with some lawyer of a sort to sign the final paperwork and deeds alongside the bank to acquire an old trading post just outside of Van Horn. He had plans to build on this land, to expand it and give us all beds inside alongside a fire for some proper heating. It was going to be the fresh start that I felt we all deserved. As well as Joe, Hank, Buck and Riley, there were two other ladies, 
Firstly, we had Riley's younger sister, Isabella. She was a cute girl, with brown hazelnut hair. Riley had taken care of her for a long time, but she'd grown up in some abusive household in St. Denise, after she was separated as a youngster from her sister. Joe and Riley got her out, and she's rode with them ever since. She's got a feisty attitude, but I heard Riley used to be like that too. She ain't no princess too, as this girl likes to get her hand on the brass and head out away with herself. She's a smart one though, as she can con any man out of a dollar and a drink. I've seen it myself. She's assertive and she rocks confidence. She knows that will hold a gun too, and she isn't afraid to use it either. Then finally, we have Louise Harlan, the meanest little lady around here. She grew up in the Grizzlies with her parents and ended up married to some hotshot in Blackwater to become a stay-at-home wife. Except, according to Louise, he wasn't very nice and eventually, um, well, she put a bullet in his head. She's the oldest lady here and without a doubt, one of the most frightened. Even Joe seemed reluctant on telling her what to do. Louise got things done though and she was good at maintaining and even crafting weapons. We sat around the campfire, sipping our coffee, whilst Riley cooked up some pig's belly for everyone. I could hear the satisfying sizzling as the burnt pan cooked up the meat in front of us all, so we could enjoy the aroma. Mm. Joe took out a packet of cigarettes. Opening them before taking one, he offered one to each of us, and although Buck, Riley and Louise would always accept, I kind of felt uncomfortable taking the man's cigarettes. So I just declined and lit one of my own five minutes later. I think Joe was aware that I did that, but he never said anything. Maybe he liked the respect or the fear, or perhaps he just didn't care. As we sat enjoying our food, which was finished off with a fried egg for each of us, Hank finally woke up from his deep sleep. A loud, obnoxious groan could be heard, no doubt followed by a stretch before a rugged-looking man stepped out of a tent, wearing nothing but his lumber trousers. He lit up a cigarette and grabbed a sweat-stained shirt before heading over to approach the group. Morning, folks. I gotta head into town. Who can I take with me? Hank asked as he started to dress himself properly. His hair was long and greasy. I'll come, Isabella said. Hey, pretty lady. Why don't you just go make me a coffee instead? He smirked. Isabella was unimpressed, almost growling at him in the process. However, she did as she was told by quickly pouring him a hot cup of black coffee. She raised it up to him. He winked as he accepted it. Book, get on your feet. Let's go. I'm sending Book out hunting this morning. We need some pelts to help with the bedding, given the winter we're crawling in. Joe explained as he sat in the dirt wearing his long black coat. Well, who the hell am I going to take? Hank asked, before looking around the group. You could take Ben, Riley suggested. Ben? I mean, no offence, kid. Well, what is it that you need him for? What are you up to in town? Joe questioned suspiciously. I just got to pick up some items from the post, but I was thinking of trying to barter some supplies for the camp, he answered. Well, then take Ben. I insist. That was Joe giving Hank an instruction, and despite his impulsiveness, he knew he wouldn't win the argument. Plus, I never understood what was so wrong with bringing me along. 
I wasn't a cocky son of a bitch, and I certainly knew how to do what I was told. Buck was good, but he was a dumbass. But maybe that's why Hank always picked him. Nevertheless, on this occasion, Hank wasn't given much of a choice. It was definitely going to be an awkward ride into town. I left my breakfast half-eaten before heading to get my horse ready. I had a Kentucky saddler, which Joe had got me from a couple of breeders he knew back in Lemoyne. I saddled up alongside with Hank, who had a very strong smell of cigarette smoke and stale whiskey around him. He popped a cocaine gum, offering myself one. I took it, of course, and we headed on out. We saw the grey clouds hanging above the sea as we made our way downhill towards Van Horn. The woods were quiet, with the odd deer treading its way through. A couple of stagecoaches rode past us, making their way into the town to no doubt do some trading. It was still quite early, but already Hank had a plan to enjoy a couple of drinks. This is going to be a very boring morning for you, kid, he told me. I just nodded and reassured him that it was good with me. We made our way into the town and parked up at the saloon before heading in through the doors. Despite the early morning, the joint was quite busy. There were ranchers, workers and stagecoach drivers drinking and eating. There wasn't many locals around at that time. Van Horn always had a reputation for being a rough place. And there'd been a few nights we were drinking in the saloon and either Hank would beat someone up or the locals would beat someone up. But I never saw the locals beat Hank up. Joe was a respected figure in these parts. So trouble wasn't something we came across often. I guess when you have a past, one which was no doubt full of violence then you're not likely to find much trouble unless you go looking for it. We're here to drink? I asked. Hank turned around, raising an eyebrow at me, as if he felt challenged by me. Boy, we're here for a business meeting. Well, I am, but yeah, I need a drink. That okay, sunshine? I just shrugged my shoulders. We made our way to the bar. Hank ordered us two beers. It was a bit early for me, so I didn't drink too much. Instead, just sipping it. The beer in Van Horn was colder at this time of the year though, as it was left outside in the back. We stood at the bar for about six minutes, sipping our drinks. We barely spoke except for the odd small talk here and there. So, you're going to tell me what we need to do? He chuckled, putting his drink on the table. You're quite impatient, babyface, ain't you? He condescendingly nicknamed me. No, I just want to make sure that I'm doing what you need is all. Just relax, he explained. He went on to elaborate further. I need to meet a friend here, and then we're going to go and pick up some ammo. That's why I wanted someone with me, so we don't get robbed on the way back to camp. You wait here for me, yeah? I nodded. I ordered another drink and a pickled egg before taking a seat at the table right beside the fire. There was a man with his dog, looked like a cocker spaniel, just opposite me. I smiled at it whilst I sip my drink. It reminded me of Austin, a dog my pa brought home to me one day. I had him for years, even until my ma died, but I found him dead and skinned one day during a harsh winter. At first I thought it was a wild animal, but I soon realised that it had been done by someone who knew what they were doing, and the only people I knew of that were sick enough to do such a thing where of course the Murphy brood. There was a loud gunshot, 
The men in the bar jumped out of their seats, with some withdrawing the revolvers. The barmaid quickly ducked down, hiding out of sight. I looked around, completely confused by what was going on. Seconds after, followed another gunshot, and it rang out from behind the bar. I had a bad feeling in my gut, and I quickly made my way out to the front to head round the back. As I ran outside, I turned to go down the alley when Hank ran into me, rather panicked compared to his usual self. Come on, kid, we got a ride. What the hell happened? I asked, but he was too worked up to answer any questions. I heard shouting and a commotion before several men ran out of the bar, withdrawing their firearms. Gunshots flew out, with one striking my horse as I climbed on top of it. I fell, crashing into the dirt and banging my head on a rock. Dazed, I could hear the fighting in front of me, and women were screaming. I was confused from the head injury, but out of nowhere, Hank ran over, grabbing me by my shirt collar. Get up, Ben! Get up! He shouted as he repeatedly opened fire. I quickly got up from the wet and muddy ground, running towards Hank's horse before climbing onto the back. He hopped on, still firing shots before we made our escape. Three men jumped on their own horses, running after us to chase us down. Hanging off the saddle was a bolt-action rifle. Take that! He demanded as he concentrated on escaping. I was still dazed and confused by what the hell had happened. I lifted my head, groaning in pain before shaking it. I reached down, grabbed the rifle and I took aim. I was a poor shot on the horse but hell I was trying. God damn it Ben, you gotta shoot! He screamed at me. I was completely overwhelmed. In my panic I accidentally hit a horse, which resulted in the other horses piling on top and the riders seriously hurting themselves. We made our way through the woods, at which point I suddenly realised my own had been killed. Hank, my horse! Forget it, he's gone! But my... Ben! They shot him! I lowered my head, shaking it. I was devastated. That horse, Charlie, was not only a gift from Joe, but but he was my family. I'd bonded with it and rode it through these past few months. Developing a relationship I'd never experienced with a person, let alone an animal. What are we gonna do? We gotta head back to camp. Joe needs to know about this. As we rode back towards camp, Isabella could instantly read that there was an issue and raised the alarm with Joe. He stood out in front of the camp, waiting anxiously. We were both panting with exhaustion as we hitched up Hank's horse and got off. I was covered in dirt with a cut on my forehead, whereas Hank had lost his hat. What's going on? Joe asked as he eyed me before looking at Hank. Joe, there's been a mix-up, Hank simply said. He was a lot more calm now that we weren't being shot at, whereas I stood in complete panic and distress. I couldn't believe what had just happened. We've always had peace in Van Horn, apart from the occasional fist fight, and the town was well known for taking the law into their own hands. If we were the aggressor in this matter, then the entire camp was in serious trouble. I want an explanation for this. What happened to him? Joe said whilst jerking his thumb at me. Riley came over to take me to the side, looking concerned herself. She sat me down by the tent to clean me up. While she was doing that, Hank explained to Joe that he had lent a significant amount of money from someone and had been struggling to repair the debt. When he went to meet the loner, they threatened Hank's life 
and pulled a gun. I watched Joe's face quickly turn pale white with fear and concern. You idiot! How could you screw up so badly? He shouted. This ain't my fault, Joe. No, it never is. That's the trouble with you. Riley and Isabella quickly walked over to get in between the two men to prevent a fistfight. Although Joe didn't seem the type to start a fistfight amongst his own during a crisis, I had never seen him so angry and hurt. I was even more disgusted in myself as I started to realise I was involved in this and consequently I may have just destroyed any trust that Joe had in me. While some men argued, Louise kept out of it and instead prepared herself for an immediate attack as she grabbed her rifle to lock and load it. I figured I should do the same thing, so I quickly pulled myself together, took a sip from the bourbon beside my bed and grabbed my rifle. Joe, what are we going to do? Riley asked when Hank finally walked away. Joe was facing away from her, holding his hand on his forehead. We gotta pack up. We gotta pack up and leave, he said after a few seconds of contemplating. Can't you go down and speak to Josie? It's too late for that. Everybody, pack your stuff. We're leaving, he shouted out. Everybody, except Louise, began making preparations to leave, including myself. I was quickly scrambling to put together all my clothes, some of which were dirty or still drying. We needed to get the horses and cart ready too, and not to forget the supplies that had been left around everywhere. And where exactly are we going to, Joe Swan? Louise asked. He stopped in his tracks, rolling his eyes before gazing at her. It wasn't the time for her to be pushing his buttons, so he stormed over to her and barked in her face to quit questioning and get ready to roll on out. She, of course, gave attitude back, but nevertheless, she listened to him in the end. You see, that was the thing about Joe. Everybody had a way of disrespecting him, arguing with him and challenging him, but in the end, they all knew he was right, and they soon fell in line. As for me, he barely looked at me, and when I went to speak with him, Riley shook her head at me, as if to suggest I would be the last person that he'd want to speak with. Joe Swan, a voice called out. Joe stepped out from behind the horse cart. He was packing to get a look at the stranger calling his name. It was a tall looking man with almost silver hair. He was dressed completely in black, but it wasn't just any plain old suit, no. It was a nice looking suit, the type of suit you get in St. Denise. It was Francis Black, one of the most dangerous men in Van Horn. He ran trading caravans out of the post and had a stake in the saloon. Joe Swan, you think it's okay to come in my town and shoot up my saloon? He asked as he loaded an enormous rifle. It was an elephant rifle. He had five other men, dressed in a similar manner, stood behind him with their rifles aimed upwards. Joe knew he needed to play it smart. Mr Black, I was just about to ride into town to see you. I wanted to explain what happened, Joe said before raising his hands as he stepped out in front of us all. Really? Looks to me as if you're running off. Look, I'm sorry about what happened. I didn't know anything about it. I'm sure we can talk and work it out. My friend just got himself in a bit of debt. 
But from what I heard, the guy drew his gun first, Joe explained rather defensively. However, he was about to discover an even more worrying matter was now at hand. Well, you see, Joe, the fella that Mr. McFarlane had lent his money from was a fella I had lent money to. I believe the debt had been passed from him to Mr. McFarlane. And with that man dead, Mr. McFarlane has inherited the debt. But it's not the debt I'm annoyed about, he explained as he slowly marched around the camp, staring down at Joe, who looked a lot more anxious than he did previously. Mr. Black was a very powerful man, with connections all along the East, and he was associated with men like Leviticus Cornwall too. As they discussed the matter and everybody was frozen, I noticed Hank had disappeared out of sight. What I'm annoyed about is the fact you walk into my saloon and cause all that ruckus and damage. That's not how we do things in Van Horn. Joe didn't know what to say or do, but all he could think of was to plead. He needed to plead with Mr. Black to get us all out of this. I know, and we'll work to pay you the money back. I'm setting up a trading operation, and if you just give us a few days, then we'll... He was quickly cut off by Mr. Black's obnoxious laughter. I'd never seen Joe look so vulnerable. No, no, you see, Joe, that's the problem. There was a pause. We don't do second... Blood splattered from Mr. Black's chest as he fell back in what felt like slow motion. He dropped to the ground on his back. Before his men could react, Joe pulled his revolver and instantly opened fire, taking one of the men down before quickly running for cover. Hank had fired the fair shot from behind a tree, escalating the standoff into a shootout. I grabbed my Springfield. Getting down on my stomach, I relentlessly began to open fire. Louise was a much more calm and collected shooter, so she was able to take down two of them. The other two were in cover behind the trees, trying to pick us off. Shit! I shouted as my rifle jammed. My hands were sore from clocking the rifle back so much. Out of nowhere, one of the men was shot from behind through the head. It was Buck. He'd heard the noise and returned back to the camp, carrying the shot up pelt of a moose on his horse. The final shooter decided to make a run for it and fled. Hank aimed down his sights to take him out until Joe ordered him not to. Reluctantly, Hank lowered his firearm and let the man escape. As far as the group were concerned, enough trouble and bloodshed had happened. It couldn't get any worse for us than it already had. Everybody all right? Joe shouted. He ran over to check on Riley before seeking out Isabella who'd been able to pick up a weapon and find cover. He was naturally protective when it came to those two. There was no time to dwell, and immediately we got onto the car, saddled up our horses and fled, leaving behind anything we weren't able to pack up. And that's the end of the pilot episode of the first instalment of The Dishonourable Few. That was called Chapter One, A Good Thing Gone. I hope you enjoyed that story. If you did, please visit our website, www.ourbadgamer.com. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as well, at The Bad Gamer UK. And don't forget to join our Discord server as well. Share this podcast, 
and I hope you enjoy the next episode to come in the future. Bye-bye.